You hate the content, but you love that intro music. This is North Texas Cycling Monthly. Hey, crickets, it's John, DJ Velodrome on the ones and twos. This is episode 11 for June 2020. What a strange trip it has been. Our email address is NorthTexasCyclingMonthly.com. And remember, if you take the time to write, I'll take the time to read your message during the podcast. According to our SoundCloud statistics, 10 people in Ireland sampled the podcast, or one person in Ireland has listened 10 times since the podcast began. We would love to hear from you in the Emerald Isle. Apparently, the podcast has been heard in the UK nine times. We've had around 115 listens in Dallas and about 40 listens each in Fort Worth, Arlington, and Lawton, Oklahoma. So, North Texas Cycling Monthly is not as contagious as the novel coronavirus, but as far as we know, we haven't killed anyone. Chances are, they're just sleeping. Uh, just a quick note about the special edition that we sent out a few weeks back. I was having some technical issues and had to re-record my thoughts on the cancellation of the Hudren Hell 100. Uh, there was a couple of things I left out as I recorded those final thoughts. First, I mentioned that the writer of the pre uh, press release buried the lead, uh, where it wasn't immediately clear reading the official press release that they were canceling the 2020 event. Now, what I failed to to mention is that I really think that that in itself was evidence that this was an excruciating decision that the committee had to make, and they were apprehensive just to come out and say that that one event that brings thousands of people and millions of dollars to Wichita Falls and the surrounding area has been canceled. And of course, also by saying that this year's ride is virtual, they can get people to register and perhaps the uh, uh, e economic loss won't be as great, which is quite honestly very smart on their part. And of course, this is not permission or encouragement or sanction, but I really can't help but think there might be a modest gathering of cyclists in downtown Wichita Falls on the morning of Saturday, August 29th. You know that Wichita Falls is home to one of the biggest cycling events in the nation. But did you know that Wichita Falls is home to one of the best college cycling teams in the nation? MSU Texas Cycling has been dominating collegiate cycling for over three decades, and Charlie Zamistel has been their coach since 2012. When I approached Coach Charlie about an interview, I said I would need him for no longer than 30 to 40 minutes. Our interview lasted just over an hour, so I'm going to present it in two parts. Here's part one of my interview with MSU Texas cycling coach Charlie Zamistel. Coach Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on North Texas Cycling Monthly. Yeah, my pleasure. So, so tell me about you. Where'd you grow up? Uh, when did cycling become a big part of your life? Well, it's kind of funny. I feel like um, relative to a lot of racers, I got into it fairly late. I grew up in Illinois um, and lived in, went to school, undergrad, Augustana, which is in the Quad Cities, which is actually rather famous for a, a particular criterium, the Quad City Criterium uh, with, oh. uh, with Snake Alley. Um, it's a big deal memorial weekend race, typically. Um, you know, it's up there with uh, Tour of Somerville and Usually, uh, I think like the bricks here in Texas used to be on that weekend. So Memorial Day around the country is always a, a, a big criterium racing race weekend. 
Um, and the Quad City Criterium is one of those. Uh, I didn't even know about it when I went to school there for four years. So from when I was 18 to 21, um, cycling wasn't really part of my life other than I bought a bike to try to lose some of the weight I gained dedicating more time to beer and pizza than exercise mm-hmm. when I was in college. I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know that process. Um, and so it just started as that. And then I moved to Chicago right after I graduated um, and lived there for three months before enrolling in a PhD program in Philadelphia at Temple University. So I was studying philosophy there and someone saw me go into the library and I had the road bike that I had purchased was my only means of, of transport um, in, in Philadelphia. And they saw the bike and they're like, hey, it's a, it's a nice road bike you got there. You should join the cycling team. And my first instinct was, wow, someone is talking to me because I had lived there for a month <laughs> uh, and not talked to anyone but the, I think, the librarian to get my student ID and, um, like, the Rite Aid checkout person, and that was it. Wow. So I was, I was really lonely, um, and so it was an opportunity to, to meet people, and he, he walked me around. It was really, I, I can't remember his name. But he was very charming, very captivating, and he, captivating. He had started the Temple Cycling Program that previous year, so it was a new new program there. Um, and they were just a, a club level team, uh, so they didn't recruit and do scholarships or anything like MSU does. Uh, but um, we walked around and talked about cycling, and I still remember he said, "Yeah, we'll get you racing, go on group rides, and we'll get you racing." And my verbatim response was <laughs> racing no those guys are crazy <laughs> so probably um, some some truth to that huh uh, yeah probably but um <laughs> uh i went on the first group ride uh i had ever done uh that that following saturday and on that ride were a couple people from temple a couple people from penn a few people from drexel uh villanova and maybe a couple other area schools. And two of those guys um, ended up being groomsmen in, uh, I didn't really have a wedding, but they were the guys that I took, uh, you know, we didn't do, we just went to the courthouse, but they were in my fo- my wedding or, or anniversary party, we called it a year later, we had like a big reception and they were like guys in my, in my photos. Um, cool. So And I was groomsmen in their weddings. So yeah, Tyler, wow. and, Tyler and Ross, um, a Temple guy and a, a Penn guy, are still a couple of my best friends here. And that was in 2007, sometime in September 2007. I uh, see. So I met them on my my very first bicycle ride. And actually all the guys that ended up being what I refer to as my groomsmen, they were all, all of them cyclists. So did you come to... Uh, North Texas to be the coach for MSU Texas? Yeah, I did. Um, In 2012, um, sometime in early summer, I think I saw the job posting on Twitter. And Twitter was still relatively new and pleasant to go on at that point. And um, I thought, what the heck? This sounds like something I have the skill set for. I had been doing a lot of the responsibilities that were being asked of... uh, of the MSU director with my collegiate club team, even though I was kind of over 
racing collegiately myself at that point. I hadn't really done it for over a year. Um, I was still running the administrative side of the team as a club officer, uh, helping them with the getting registered and getting new people licenses and planning the logistics and everything else, uh, and plus doing the coaching. Um, that's what I uh, what I did while I was in grad school to pay my rent. Um, was coaching and working in a bike shop, and um, and it was a it was a full time position, you know, with health insurance. <laughs> and I thought, hey, I might as well apply. It's a long shot, you know, but let's see what happens. And I got a call from Dr. Clark m- moments after I think finishing a criterium in which I had been dropped and was very frustrated because I made a big oh, mental no. blunder. Yeah, so I was in a I was in a bad spot, but I got the call and I saw a Texas number. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they wanted to set up uh, an interview. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this, you know, and I s- still was kind of in a state of denial about, you know, the the looming change that was ahead of me. And mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I went through the interview process and it, it sounded like uh, something I, I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. I mean, I really, really took to this job um, and. August 1st, 2012, exactly five years from when I had flown to Philadelphia on a one-way ticket from Chicago, uh, I was back on a plane with a one-way ticket to Texas. I'll be darned. Well, that's a cool bio. Uh, To finish out that bio a little bit, uh, tell me about the bikes in your garage. What what are you riding lately? Um, Since Christmas, uh, I I bought myself a brand new uh, Venge, a specialized Venge. I don't even know which tier or whatever they call it. Pro, maybe? It's it's carbon fiber. It has SRAM Force AXS. So it's a 12-speed road bike with a 48-36 or maybe 34 chain rings um i don't i haven't had to use the little chain ring too much here in texas no uh, no but um yeah it's real i absolutely love the bike i've always been into uh aero aero frames um you know i bought a a scott foil way way back when it was like the first year came out um and thought that was uh you know that was the way of the future was was aerodynamics and um cool to bicycles. So I have that. Um, I have my previous bike was Avenge as well with Ultegra. So I have that one set up on the trainer here at home. Um, so I got my outside bike and my inside bike. And um, I have a my very first road bike uh, serves as my commuter. Um, it's got the panniers and the, the lock holder and the, the lights and everything, locking skewers. Um, wow. that is a Trek 1000, the bright orange one from, I want to say 2006. Awesome. It has like, I think it has like seven time Tour de France on it or something because Trek was closely intertwined with, um, oh, yeah. another, another Texas cyclist who we won't uh, yes. mention by name. <laughs> well, um, I, I of course want to hear a brief history of MSU Texas cycling, uh, but how, common are collegiate cyclic let me try that again how common are collegiate cycling programs in texas and oklahoma well almost every major college has some cycling program you know they're all at the club level save for us 
and there's an emerging varsity program out of uh, Kerrville. I'm blanking on the name of the team right now. I can probably Google it. Um, College in Kerrville. Uh, um, is it uh, one of the A&M campuses, maybe? I don't know. Shriner. Shriner okay. University. Yeah, they are starting. You know, their their goal is to be like us, uh, a, you know, a full varsity program. They've hired a, a, a coach, you know, a, a salaried coach. Um, but they're just in the early stages of, of building their program. So they only had... I think four people on the team and all of them were category D's, which is the lowest category. But in our so conference, dis- go ahead. Distinguish uh, club level versus varsity. I Help me understand that. Sure. So USA Cycling um, has certain criteria you have to meet in order to be considered a varsity program. Um, you have to compete in at least two disciplines at the national championship level. Um, so you can't just do road. You can't just do cyclocross. You have to, you know, have a mix, at least two of the five disciplines. So the others that I, besides those that I mentioned, are mountain bike, uh, BMX, and track. Uh, and then they have to have a full-time coach. Uh, so someone that's not a student who is involved in the administration of the team. And they have to provide scholarships. Um and then there's a fourth option as well, which is to be designated a varsity program by the school itself. And then you have to meet three out of the four of those criteria. And so there are about 30 or so varsity programs in the United States. And then just about every college you can think of will have at least some sort of club team presence. What really distinguishes club from varsity on top of the you know, the, the recruiting and the talent that they bring in, it, it's also just the, um, you know, the tradition and the longevity and the stableness of their success. So there might be a club team that one year is just absolutely killing it. And there's, they've got maybe grad students or really responsible seniors that are just super on top of getting the, the club together and holding group rides and developing talent. And then maybe that wave of students that's really into it graduates and there's a leadership void or something, and then the next year they, they barely exist. So we've seen that with a lot of programs in our conference. Oklahoma, A&M, uh, UNT, and UT typically have the most staying power. I would say A&M probably has been um, the closest thing we've had to a rival. Um, they have usually had the most dominant presence in mountain biking something that we didn't do a lot of competing in until the the past three or four years that i've been here Um, msu was never known for its mountain bike program understandably so since we don't have mountains Um, right but we were really known as a a track and road school but with the um you know deconstruction of the velodrome in frisco Practicing for the track and recruiting for the track has become a lot more difficult. Obviously, we have to go to Houston in order to ride a velodrome. And so that's um, insane. That's sort of ushered in the shift where we're focusing more on mountain biking now. And we are hosting the mountain bike conference championship this year, hopefully, if if racing returns by October. And so October 10th and 11th, we hope to, for the first time, win 
um, the conference in mountain biking. But we haven't lost the conference championship on, on the track in, in history. Uh, in the years we've had a conference racing, MSU has always won. And no kidding. The conference trophy, I think the earliest dates that I see on that trophy are from the early 80s when MSU uh, first got a got a team, I think was in 1989. Um, but there are, I think, Rice and Texas A&M and UT all have had um, conference championships in the 80s and 90s and early aughts. Um, UT, I believe, was the last team to win the conference that wasn't us, and that was 14 years ago. So we've won wow. 14 straight conference championships. That's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, I think the difference you can make when you, you know, have someone that's a, you know, a full-time coach and team director, um, you get that, that staying power. You, you may have already answered my question. Um, but how long has MSU Texas had a cycling team? It was founded by Dr. Robert Clark in 1989. 89. Okay. Now, so um, uh, you mentioned recruiting earlier. So that's, that's something you can do is recruit. Yeah. In a, in the sense that um, there is one person who someone who is looking to be recruited can reach out to either through our website or through email or through the USA cycling page. So if you Google uh, cycling scholarships, USA, um, you probably the first hit will be the usacycling.org page where it will list all the schools that do cycling scholarships and you know with a website link and a you know point of contact and so typically they're able to reach out to me there have been opportunities to recruit at the junior national championships although um, efforts to hold those sort of round tables have sort of waned in the last couple of years um, so a lot of it comes by word of mouth and, uh, just by reputation, people reaching out to me, I will find people at local races here in Texas when I'm able to attend those, um, as well. So if there are juniors racing in and around Texas, I, I probably already know their name. Now, when I think of cycling teams, I think of riders in skin suits on carbon bikes, but MSU Texas is much more than just a road racing team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've done, um, you know, we've competed in all five disciplines uh, at the national championships. Still haven't medaled in mountain or cross. We've been top 10, but haven't medaled. Um, but we've been on the podium in BMX, road and track. Um, so we've got our, our off-road people and our, you know, our little sprinters in BMX. Um, and we've done, you know, downhill mountain biking. We've had someone compete in that this past year for the first time. Now they're able to practice down in the Austin area at Spider Mountain. Um, so kind of a completely different look when they've got the downhill gear on and their bike that weighs 45 pounds and a full face helmet. Um, they don't look like a road cyclist when they're, when they're geared up like that. So you, as a coach, you have to offer expertise in different disciplines of riding. Training tends to be, um, not, I don't want to say the same, 
but the physiological principles behind getting stronger, whether it's developing neuromuscular strength, anaerobic capacity, endurance, recruiting slow twitch versus fast twitch, um, the principles for all of that remain kind of the same. When it comes to the technical skills, um, you know, I'm not an expert mountain biker, um, but I'm able to equip them with the tools, I think, to educate themselves on how to develop that part. And I'm there for guidance when it comes to training the, the engine um, and also the psychological side of things and managing, you know, a school schedule and the drama of being in your teens or early 20s, um, team dynamics, uh, being far away from home, all of that stuff kind of falls under my purview. So no, I don't claim to be a like an expert BMX racer. I I mm-hmm. saw my first BMX race at the national championship back in 2014, I think, when we had someone competing. Wow. But if you're doing BMX and you're at that level, you've had training probably since you were a little kid. So Cameron Lowry, yes. he was our first BMX racer, and he'd been to the junior world championships and placed third when he was like 16. So, wow. Yeah, there was nothing I could tell him about BMX that he didn't already know. Um, but I was also able to help uh, train him so that beyond BMX, he was able to be uh, extremely competitive. I think he finished fourth in the Hotter and Hell uh, Friday Night Criterium, which is always a big deal. Um, so yeah. we were able to equip him with the tools to be an excellent cyclist you know, on the, on the road. And he also did pretty well on the track, too. But he really found his niche... Um, with the sprint power developed in BMX to to become a good uh, criterium racer. So that was going to be my next question. You know, uh, do your road racers have to be strictly road racers? They can't, you know, they can't uh, compete also as a mountain biker or a BMXer. A hundred percent. They are more than welcome to try anything that they want to try. Um, we have the resources to support them. And insofar as we do, um, you know, we will we will give them the tools to um, explore what they what they love about being on the bike. Um, I do ask everyone on the team needs to do uh, road or mountain, since those are the two disciplines where we're really trying to focus. Um, I obviously want them all to do all of it if it makes them happy and if they show some proficiency at it or some acumen, some uh, ability to represent us at the at the conference level and then at the national level i i want them to explore that possibility but if it's just something they want to do for fun you know throw on some flat pedals on the mountain bike and bring your tennis shoes and an msu jersey and we'll let you compete at the category c level or category d level on the mountain bike um we're you know we operate on sort of two levels when it comes to the team Mm -hmm. there are our scholarship riders um those riders are by and large category a racers which are the only ones who actually compete at nationals uh and they you know have stricter practice schedules and attendance requirements for meetings and things like that so they have higher expectations placed upon them for this in order to earn that scholarship but we also have plenty of people who just enjoy riding their bike and racing their bike but it's not something where if it comes to um, you know, let's say they really miss their family and want to go home for the weekend, but they've got a race to go to or a practice to go to. Those club people don't owe me anything as far as showing up when 
all they're getting from me is, you know, a van ride down to the race. Um, yeah. You know, we're not, we're not giving them uh, a scholarship. Um, but, uh, I don't really have that too often. I think the club racers for the most part are just as into it as the, the varsity people. They just might not have the aerobic capacity to, to reach that level or just the available time. I mean, college has a, a, you pulling, college pulls you a lot of different directions sometimes, and you only have so much time in the day to do all of your studying and whatever other extracurricular activities you're involved in, your research projects. Um, and like I said, being 20 and uh, living through everything, you know? So, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, <clears throat> when it comes to those, um, those students, we treat them the same uh, on a race weekend. They get the same level of support when it comes to paying for the registration and there's no, Oh, you have to set up the tent because you're a, you're a D rider or you're a freshman. You have to pick up after the A's. That's we're, we're completely egalitarian when it comes to the support that they get from me at the race and, and racing in general. So it's, um, you know, that with that incentive, I think, uh, I think just, they generally enjoy racing their bike, which is why they turn up when they do. Does a student have to be a seasoned or experienced cyclist to be a member of your team? Not at all. Um, we are absolutely open to anyone who has a bike. And even if you don't have a bike, we've been able to, with the fleet that Hotter and Hell provided us of road bikes, um, we've got about six or seven uh, still uh, not cracked or broken frames that M or Hotter and Hell <laughs> was able to, to provide for us. And we have... Um, you know, national champions from their home countries riding those. And we have people who were soccer players and came here and decided they didn't want to play soccer and were just looking for something to try out. I was able to put wow. Rodrigo Quesada. He was my soccer player that was like, um, I'm friends with someone on the cycling team. I've never raced a bike before and I haven't ridden a bike since I was five, but I want to try this. And I said, well, hey, you're yes. six foot one and I've got a size 56 frame that we could put you on. You know, you got to wow. get your get your helmet and your shoes. But in a lot of times there are other people on the team who have their old stuff because there's a scholarship people that are constantly upgrading and um, yes, or provided by their club team, certain things that, um, you know, that means they can sell for, on the cheap their old shoes or, you know, a helmet because it's not their team helmet that they're supposed to be wearing. And so there's definitely a, a community of people um, on the team or alum that are willing to donate or, or sell their stuff on the cheap. And then beyond that, uh, you know, we've had people here in the community. Um, one kid was a senior, Julian, showed up at a, a mountain bike race that we hosted this past fall. And he was just on a demo bike provided by Endurance House. They happened to have a demo fleet available yeah. the weekend of our race. And he yes. was amazing. He'd been a runner, and so he had that engine. And he was tremendous on the on the mountain bike. And so I kept bugging him. I would see him in the hallways a lot because he was a major in exercise physiology, which is where my office is in that department. Yeah. And I'd bug him over and over, hey, when are we going to get you on a road bike? When are we going to get you on a road bike? And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. And I was like, great. Now i got to find him a road bike. And <laughs> reached out to the Wichita Falls bicycling page and within minutes, uh, Les Aikens was on the phone with me saying, Hey, I've got this old frame. If you can get some wheels on it, he can ride it. 
and it was a super That's sick. Fantastic. It was like this amazing, you know, multiple thousands of dollars road bike that uh, Julian was able to to race on, and he did as amazing as expected. He was just a really good athlete, and we've had so many people like that where they were. Unfortunately, they always seem to be seniors, and they're like, "Hey, I want to give this a try." I can just think of mm-hmm. so many Brandon and Aaron and all these kids that that you know had cycling talent. Nicole, who just wanted to try it out, and I was like, "Man, one more year, and you could be racing A's, but you're graduating." <laughs> so it, this uh, here's a question that came to mind as you're saying this. Uh, I, I I'm a baseball fan, and it's been proven time and time again that you don't necessarily have to be a tremendous athlete and just, you know, you don't have to necessarily look the part to have an amazing skill set for the sport. Doesn't look like a, like a prime. I'm kind of saying that it's kind of where I'm going with this. It's (laughs) kind of where I'm going with this. There's this guy named Baith Ruth. I don't know if you've heard of him, but yeah. Yeah, So, can it can it be applied to cycling? Now I understand that there's this kind of weight thing that we we often obsess about, but is there a difference between someone coming along who is is athletic, they take good care of themselves, they're in a tremendous amount of health, versus someone who just seems to have a knack for they seem to just be born with this skill set to ride a bicycle. Yeah, I think it's kind of like um, running. I think people can wrap their heads around the fact that, um, you know, if you have good oxygen delivery to your muscles, so it's your cardiovascular system that really determines how good of a cyclist uh, you're going to be. You know, VO2 max in the 70s can be hiding under 15% body fat, and you wouldn't know it Mm -hmm. just by looking at them. Um, Yeah. You know, cyclists, a lot of them are shaped like me, which is to say you know, rail thin bird bones, their legs don't by default, aren't by default these massive tree trunks. You will see cyclists that Mm -hmm. do have tree trunks for legs, but some of them have, have chicken legs like me. And, um, you know, that, that may impact their ability to sprint, but even then you can have, um, really good sprinters who look like they ought to be climbers and they can have, um, guys that can climb that that look like they should be riding on the flat 400 watts or something but um no there's no one body type that tends to be successful at cycling um it really just depends and you can have people that you know if they could be overweight or even categorized by bmi as obese but if they've been if they've been training and they ride a lot Chances are they're going to whip the snot out of someone who who looks like a triathlete or a, a, a soccer player, but who hasn't you know done the the cardiovascular work on the bike to to get good at it. What's the typical gender makeup of your team commonly? It's a it's a struggle to find women interested in racing. It's mm-hmm. recruiting, recruiting women is, is more challenging than men. And then when you get where you don't have a lot of women, women are less interested in joining your team. So you really got to keep your numbers up regardless of the, of the skill level. I see. Um, so, you know, if you can have a, an A women or two A women that are interested in going there. Um, but if you're like, well, yeah, I've got one other woman, she's an A and she's really great. 
that's less appealing probably than having, yeah, I've got six women. None of them are A's, but they're all women that you can, you know, you can sort of be a, a leader figure for, or just sure. women that have been around and get the culture and, you know, have bought into the, the philosophy of the team and everything else. So yeah, I wish, I wish to... we had more women. I think uh, women cycling has, has long been neglected in terms of media coverage, in terms of, you know, playing second fiddle to the to the men as far as professional events. Um, sure. I'm glad that the prize purses now in Texas, if you do a prize purse, they have to be equal, which is good. Cool. Um, but that's kind of just the, the first step. Um, you know, there's women like Catherine Bertine uh, out there as an activist. She uh, put together the Half the Road film. Um, Ellen Noble has been... Uh, she started... Um, I don't know if it's like a company or the slogan bunny hop, the patriarchy where, um, she's a big cyclocross racer and, um, you know, she got to where this people would say, Oh, women can't hop the barriers. Well, she can hop a barrier better than any guy I know. That's for sure. Um, so there are a lot of strong women role models out there for cyclists. And I think that's where the most potential for growth in cycling is, is, is developing more women, um, to compete at a high level. Now, uh, do you have team members from outside the United States from time to time? All the time. In fact, um, we've been anywhere from like nearly 50% foreign riders to I'd say the lowest has been about 25%. So we recruit internationally. Yeah, they they find me (laughs) Um, usually through email, um, sometimes on Facebook. um, But they reach out and, you know, interested in coming to the United States and and racing their bike. Um, but obviously being an international student is extremely expensive. So yes. the, um, the scholarship goes a long way. And then once they're here, uh, making them feel at home and, and looking after their, their needs on a personal level, um, is, you know, what I view as one of my primary responsibilities. Is there a certain part of the world that contributes most, uh, Europe or Mexico or, you know, it really varies. Um, so right now, let me think, um, Slovakia, Bosnia, uh, well, actually he's Serbian, but he lives in Bosnia now. Um, wow. we have a German coming next year. Uh, really Honduras presently. We've had a couple or next year. We might also have a, another South African. He would be our fourth South African rider. Um, we have an Australian right now, a Bolivian, a Guatemalan, um, I don't know if we have anyone right now who was born in Mexico. Um, we have at least three folks now who have Mexican heritage, but I believe they're all second generation. My uh, goodness. Yeah. So we are, yeah, extremely, extremely diverse, um, which is something that yeah, that's... I think is a, a source of strength for our team. And I thought the, uh, the uh, European uh, jet, training program out at, at Shepherd was pretty diverse, but man, you're, you're blowing them away. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to say we've had representatives from over every continent and then over two dozen countries, um, just in my eight years. That concludes part one of this interview of coach Charlie Zamistil. Part two will be featured in episode 12.
That wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. A big shout out to the pros that make North Texas Cycling Monthly possible. They are podcasts to go. Find them at facebook.com forward slash podcasts to go. If you like what you hear, please rate and review North Texas Cycling Monthly. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell your friends about us. Drop us a line at northtexascycling at gmail.com and let us know how this podcast best serves your needs. Please like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groupset. And remember, your world is better when you see it from a bike. We'll see you down the road.